Have you ever had a friend, maybe a best friend, where you weren't just friends with them, but you like loved their whole family, right? And they loved you too. And it's almost like they became your second family. And for some of us, they may become your first family because your, your biological family was jacked up. I don't know. Um, Jesus had a friend like that. And it seemed like just a few days ago, his friend was perfectly healthy. And then he got word that his friend was sick. And two days later, his friend was dead. And by the time Jesus gets there, the sisters of his dead friend, Lazarus, run to meet him. And Martha shows up in typical Martha fashion. She shows up yelling. She shows up, Jesus, if you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And just a little bit ways behind her is Mary, Mary of Bethany with all the friends and all the family. And she's just numb, man. And she echoes her sister and just says, Jesus, if you had just been here, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. And scripture actually tells us that when Jesus takes it all in, he sees everybody crying. He sees Mary, he sees Martha, he sees all the friends and family. It says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And it's there that we actually get pretty much the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. And I think it's that short, honestly, because I don't think it needs to be any longer. Right, like we, we know what's happening. Like, like Jesus is going there. Like Jesus is breaking out. Here's what I love, come on guys. Here's what I love about Jesus because if you know the rest of the story, right, you know how this, this story turns out, right? Like Jesus shows up and he does the Jesus stuff, right? Like he actually raises Lazarus from the dead. But here's what I, I love that Jesus does not do. He's like, hey guys, guys, stop. It's gonna be okay. Stop. No, it, Jesus wept, even knowing how the end results would be there, right? Like, like, like Jesus, what, like we know Jesus, Jesus shows up, Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus delivers, but Jesus weeps. Come on guys, we don't know what to do when God has an emotional breakdown. <laughs> like what, what do you do? What do you, what do you do when Jesus puts a do not disturb sign on his life? And he like leans into it. He goes there and Jesus mourns. After all, he was only taking his own advice. Matthew chapter seven, verse 24. Jesus says this at the end of that chapter. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, guys, storms are coming for everybody. I know you may not have showed up to church today to hear this, but storms are coming for everybody. Storms are coming for the righteous and the wicked, for the holy and the unholy, the good, the bad, the ugly. Storms are coming for everybody. And here's what Jesus is saying. The only way that we're actually gonna be found standing on the other side of that storm is not only if we just hear his words, but if we hear his words and obey his words, right? And what are his words? His words are wrapped up in that therefore in Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears my words. What's the therefore? The therefore is pointing to this three chapter long sermon in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7 that we call the Sermon on the Mount. 
And what Jesus is saying is, if you live this way, my way, Jesus' way of life, then we will still be found standing on the other side of the storm. And so what are these words? These words are these three chapters that then begin in Matthew chapter five with what we call the Beatitudes, all right? The Beatitudes are the eight blessed are you when statements of Jesus. So last week we kicked it off, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that word blessed is actually a little tricky because it's the Greek word makarios, makarios, which means blessed or happy or fortunate. And it's tricky because it's not an emotion. It's a reality. Okay, guys, here's the big deal. You may not always feel blessed, but you are blessed when you're living Christ's way. Listen, I know in the middle of the storm, when life is crashing down, when there's pain, when there's trauma, you don't feel blessed, but the reality is you are blessed, right? And in fact, this, this word blessed can actually be summed up with this big, amazing word, congratulations. And here's the idea that it's almost like when, when God pours out his grace, his blessing, his, his, his way of life on you like this, it's almost like the angels stand back in heaven and they say, congratulations, right? Congratulations to the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I can imagine this, right? You know, Jesus kicks off his sermon and he says, bless. And everybody was like texting their friend, ordering dinner that night. And they're like, blessed. Come on, guys. We're all, we're all preconditioned to love that word, right? Blessed, happy, fortunate, right? Like this is why prosperity series are amazing for everyone. Oh, I want to find out how I can be blessed, right? But the problem is this, we live in a world that's looking for blessing and happiness and joy in all the wrong places that are actually leaving us more empty and more miserable than the moment that we found a sin always over promises and under delivers. And so what Jesus does here in the Beatitudes, he invites us into the way of life, listen, that actually is blessed. He says, when you live life my way, that's what the blessed life actually looks like. And Jesus is really saying this. He's saying, if you follow me, I will form you into these types of people. And so last week, we landed on blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And today, Jesus is taking us to a place that honestly, most of us don't want to go. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Here's what he says. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There are few statements in the Bible that are more seemingly contradictory than that statement, right? Let's just swap some, some easy words out here. Happy are those who are sad. What? You ever hear Jesus say something and you're like, no, no, no. I was tracking with you until you got to that one, Jesus, but I ain't buying that. Happy are the sad and listen, like Jesus mourning for his friend Lazarus, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Because just like us, Jesus was no stranger to pain. In fact, Jesus, here's, guys, here's the reality. Jesus promises us that in this world, we will have pain. Jesus promises us that in this world, we'll have troubles. Don't forget though, don't forget, fast forward. Don't forget, take heart, because he's overcome the world. But between now and then, come on, somebody. You ever encountered the between now and then? 
Come on, so you know what? Come on, if you have faith in Christ, you know the then. You're like, yes to the then. But between now and then, there's going to be some troubles. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some tsunamis. There's going to be some storms. And listen, the storms. Maybe you've encountered the death of a loved one. Maybe, maybe you've mishandled some money. Maybe you've lost your job, and now the creditors are circling like buzzards. Maybe you've experienced the death of a marriage. Maybe you've gone through sexual abuse, church hurt, and a thousand other things. And what Jesus invites us to do is come into the blessed life. A blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. But I know this. I know some of us today are saying this. I know I need to, but I don't know how to. Can we go there? Just okay. We're just, I don't care if you say no anyway. If we're gonna go there, let's just go. Let's just go ahead and jump in the deep end of the pool. There are some of us here today online. You are molested as a child, and here's what happened. You didn't have the tools. You didn't know how to. Nobody helped you. Nobody helped you process that and get healed in that. And what happened is you fast forward decades later and you set up a whole life to insulate you from ever experiencing that pain again. And what we don't connect is our life now is a, is a shell house of cards life set up just to avoid pain. And so we've created this life. Listen, there are some of us who had abuse at seven but now we're 77, but we're still seven. But Jesus invites us. He says, hey guys, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. So to become the people, the blessed people that Christ has for us, to actually be able to move forward instead of being stuck, we have to learn how, what I would say is, we have to learn how to mourn God's way. So let's walk through that just for a few minutes, and I believe that the Lord's gonna take us someplace good. How do I mourn God's way? Here's the first thought. I have to trust God. I have to trust God. Now here, let me say this, okay, guys. Take notes, because somebody's gonna tell you these scriptures that I'm gonna tell you in just a second, in your day of trauma, and you're gonna wanna punch them in the face. Because here's the deal, on that day, I, a whole lot of people have a whole lot of knowledge, but they don't have a whole lot of heart. So they spout, they spout off facts at you, but they have no compassion to walk with it. And so take notes today so that on that day, you'll be able to stand firm on the rock instead of standing on your emotions. And so what we have to do is we have to drill past all the, all the, the mess, all, all the, the memories, all the, the chaos and the storms, down until we hit bedrock, something that won't move. And that's where we build our life on, is on trusting God. And here's, here's one of the deepest layers of trust. I trust that where God is leading is better than where I'm living. I trust that where God is leading is better than where I'm leaving. But one of the hardest things to do in the midst of, of trauma and pain and the storm is to trust God. But here's, here's what our trust looks like. Let's, let's, let's walk through Romans 8 real quick. By the way, if you haven't read Romans 8 lately, what you doing with your life? 
I wanna challenge you guys to live in Romans 8, maybe even just for the next week, like read it once a day. It just takes a few minutes. This is one of the most encouraging chapters in the entire Bible, Romans 8, 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Get this today, get this today, guys. Because here's the deal, somebody's gonna throw this at you on that day and it's not gonna feel very comforting. All right, but get this in, make this part of who you are today. And here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. What we have to learn to do is, is, is know this. In the fog of trauma and sadness in the storm, we have to know that the sun is still shining above the clouds. Even though I can't see it, I trust that Jesus is still on the throne. Fast forward 10 verses later, Romans 8, 28, right? This is the one everybody loves to throw at us, okay? So put our arms around it today. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I want you to be overwhelmingly obvious here. Paul, the author of Romans, does not say that the pain is good. Don't let somebody Jesus juke you like that. The pain is not good. The pain is terrible. The pain is traumatic. But here's what I trust. I trust that we have a God who's so big, powerful, sitting on the throne, that he's able to work it together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Like mama making dinner at night. Not all the individual ingredients are good, but she has a way of working it together that by the time it's done, it's amazing. And I trust that even when I can't see it, that God is still at work. Why? Fast forward 10 more verses, Romans 8, 38. And I am convinced that nothing, everybody say nothing, can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell itself can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In other words, I trust that no matter what happens, God hasn't left me. It may feel like he's left me, but I trust that he hasn't. God is right here with me in the pain. And just, just go ahead and put this one in the pocket, okay, guys, for later. At some point, what carries a person through their pain is trust. Trust. Even when I can't see it, I trust it. That's what faith is. And I believe this in my bones. I believe that pain puts believers on display for the world to see how we process and go through trials and troubles differently than everybody else. A number of years ago, um, when Summer and I were still pastoring Victory Hamilton Mill, uh, we, had, we had just uh, started forming a close friendship um, with a young family. Uh, and then we get the phone call and we rush to the hospital. And there in the hospital is mom and dad, our friends, and their five-year-old daughter who had an asthma attack and is hooked up to everything. but she was without oxygen for too long. And when they took the machines out, she faded away. 
and probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do in all of my ministry life is to do a funeral for a five-year-old. But here's the reality, guys. We're just trying to help somebody else. We're not the ones who actually went through it. And let me just say this. Usually, usually I've done this long enough, usually for a family that something like that would happen to, you're like, bye. It's been nice knowing you because they're gone. Like, it, like it, it's, the world looks at that and they're like, you can never recover. You can never recover from that. But I watched how this husband, this, who actually was a baby Christian at that point, how he led his family through this. And at the funeral, right after the funeral was over, he came up to me and he said, Johnson, I had like all my lost friends, all my, I had so many atheists here today. And he said, I can't tell you how many people have walked up to me and said, hey, what church do you go to? And I said, Aaron, Aaron, here's the deal. Um, they don't know how to phrase it, but actually what they're asking is this. Who's your God? Because I see how you're going through this. And I think about how I would go through this. And I thought I knew God but I don't know God like you know God. Who's your God? And I'm telling you guys, living God's way sets you apart from everybody else. And trusting God in your bones sets you out to be able to be found standing on the other side of the storm. So how do I mourn God's way? I have to trust God. Second thing is this. I have to fully engage. I have to fully engage. See, here's, the, here's, the, here's what happens, guys. Jesus not only tells us that it's okay to mourn. He doesn't say we could mourn. He said we should mourn. Because the way of life that's blessed is in mourning. Is mourning. In fact, he actually says this. The path to joy is through mourning. If you actually look over in Luke 6, he said, those who weep will laugh. It's so counterculture, right? In fact, especially when you look at the word that Jesus uses right there, blessed are those who mourn. That word for mourn is the Greek word pentheo, pentheo. And pentheo is actually the, the strongest word for mourning in the Greek language. And here, here let, actually, let me contrast it. Here's what pentheo is not. Pentheo is not an emotion. I mean, it's not an emoji. You know what I'm saying? Like we live in a culture, I'm sad. Here's the little thing with the two things. Uh. Right? It, it, um, you know how you text somebody, LOL? They like send you a joke, and here's how everybody on, on the planet text LOL. You're not LOLing. <laughs> it's how everybody, <laughs> no. We're, we're conditioned to have, we live in a culture that's all about outward show not about inward reality. But what Pentheo is, Pentheo is not an outward show. Pentheo is not a little emoji. Pentheo is like the dagger in the soul. Pentheo is the type of, 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 of cry that you can't hold it on the inside. It's the cry that comes out through the mouth, that comes out through the eyes. Pentheo! You can't hold it on the inside. Because blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who Pentheo. 
for they'll be comforted. God calls us to fully engage in the pain. So what do we mourn for? What do we mourn for? Here's, here's a few things. I just call them a few categories. We mourn for what's been done. Guys, there's no, there's no shortage of things to mourn for. Listen, we, we just came out of a two and a half year global trauma called COVID, right? And now there's a seemingly endless stream of tragedies, of earthquakes, of, of, of mass shootings, right? Of wars and rumors of wars, of famines, of racial injustice. And that's just out there. And then there's our own life, right? What, what's been done in our own life? Some of us, we've had the death of a marriage, death of a child, death of mom and dad, loss of a job, sexual abuse, church hurt. Again, it just goes on and on and on. And what it is, what it is, here's how I say it. For many of us, there is a mountain of a gap between expectation and reality, between what we thought was gonna happen and then what actually happened. And this, this is what I call the pain gap between what we thought would happen and then what actually happens. And what happens is when this place take, takes place, it's almost like if, you, ever, you ever experience a trauma and it like takes your breath away? You're like, <gasps> that's the gap. That's the gap. And what Jesus does, he invites us not to retreat from it, but to press into it. But let me say this. Let me say this. I, this may be an aha moment for some of us. There is so much pain in the world today that we're at danger of getting numb, cold, and retreating from it. Right? Right? And, and to make it worse, compound it, we have so much societal pressure to virtue signal. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like to act like you care about everything. Oh, you, you didn't change your picture to a flag? Oh, you didn't post about Black Lives Matter? Oh, you didn't talk about the election? canceled. And so there's this societal pressure to know everything and to care about everything. But let me make a big statement for you, okay? Maybe this will help some of you. You and I were not made to know everything. And we were definitely not made to care about everything. I am convinced that the reason why there's so much anxiety, why the reason why there's so much depression why well, the reason why so many of us feel overwhelmed is because of information overload. So tra track with me, okay? A hundred years ago, we had nightly recaps on the radio. You know what I'm saying? And it, you know, that was all local stuff. They're like, oh, there's a local union worker strike down the road, hey. Right, you're like, okay, all right, yeah, okay. Now we have literally worldwide video streaming live. Guys, you were not made to simultaneously know about genocide in Myanmar and see pictures of 40,000 plus dead in Turkey in an earthquake and to, and to see live up-to-date of a war in Ukraine and to watch pictures of babies dying of famine in Ethiopia. All of it. And then you got your own drama. That's not even talking about your marriage and your mess and your kids and your work and your money. Guys, you, were, you and I, we were not made to know everything. Only one can know everything. Only God can know everything and care about everything. 
But here's what happens. This information age that we live in, it throws it out to us and we scroll and we click and we soak it up. And then we wonder why we're overwhelmed. <laughs> it's because we weren't made to know everything and definitely not made to care about everything. And so here's the deal. I give you my express permission to put your phone on do not disturb. I give you permission, the next, here's the deal. The world's gonna say, watch the video and care about the video and post about the video and talk about the video. I give you permission not to watch the video. Because here's what's happening. All of this mess is causing us not to care about the things that we actually need to care about. Okay, because here's what happens. Here's what happens, okay? Here's what happens. We're just socially conditioned to be in all that stuff. Then we come home, right? Maybe you're married, you come home, your wife comes home, and your wife starts telling you about her day, and then you're like, I can't. I just can't even. It's too much. It's not too much. It's because you've been caring about everything else out here, and you have nothing left to give here. And your wife tries to put something on your plate. You're like, oh, I can't take anything else because you just put four other things on your plate. I gotta care about the earthquake. I gotta care about the Myanmar thing. I gotta care about Africa. I got Your first obligation, listen, it's to your spouse and then your kids and your friends, then your neighbors. So some of us, we need to throttle back on the stuff that we can't do anything about so that we can actually throttle up and step in and fully engage in the things that we're called to fully engage. <laughs> so what do we mourn for? We mourn for what's been done. We also mourn for what I've done. See, there's a reason why this is the second beatitude. The first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit. What's somebody who's poor in spirit? Somebody who's poor in spirit says, God, I am sinful. What do you do after you confess sin? You mourn sin. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were broken for how broken you are? When was the last time that you looked at the chaos that your sin has caused? Come on, guys. Some of us, our, our sin has caused trauma to our kids. Our sin has led to affairs which led to divorce. Our sin has gotten people fired. Some of us, our sin has gotten people killed. Our tongue has murdered. Our heart has lusted. And here's what I know. The closer I get to Jesus, the more aware I am of my sin. The more aware I am that I, not all have sinned, I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I have become overwhelmingly aware that my sinful nature is wicked and wretched and I want to be further along than I am. Come on, guys. I want to, I want to be more like Christ than I am. I look at how long I've been born again. I still look at the stupid things that I do. I look at how I self-medicate. I look at the other loves that I run to. I want to be further along than I am. And what, what this does, it causes us to come into the presence of God and say, oh God, what a wretched man that I am. And we will only do that if we stop comparing ourselves to each other. Because you're great compared to all the other losers. <laughs> That's what we tell ourselves, right? We compare ourselves to Bob at work. And we're like, I'm better than that idiot, all right? 
we have to do is we have to lift our eyes up off of all the other sinful, broken people, just like us, to the Holy One. And when I see the one who is without sin, the one who lives in unapproachable light, the one whose name is holy, I look back at myself and I say, oh God, oh God, I'm broken. Oh God, woe is me. I am poor in spirit. And then the invitation of God is, it's okay to have your heart broken over how broken you are. And then you bring that before me and blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. It's not condemnation. It's an invitation into a holy life. So what do I mourn for? I mourn for what's been done. I mourn for what I've done. And then I mourn for what I long for. I mourn for what I long for. Listen, this is the person who gets in God's presence and says, God, God, would you save my family? God, would you save my dad? God, would you save my teenager? It's the heart that's vulnerable enough before the Lord, that's, come on, dare I say, sensitive enough before the Lord that I can put my heart before God and say, God, I am thinking about my friends, about my family, about that person. Here's what I know. The trajectory of their life is in complete rebellion against the living God. And if that line continues to death, they will live an eternity in separation from the living God. And my heart is broken for it. It's the heart, it's the heart that gets before God and is absolutely willing to go there about losing their kid. About the fact that dad died, about the fact that the best friend when they were kids died in the car crash, whatever that is. And we've been ignoring it. We've been running away from it. We haven't wanted to talk about it, but it's right there. Like it's right there. And we've shaped a whole life to to try and lie to ourselves so we don't have to deal with it. And the invitation of God is to say, hey guys, press into this. But we're like, God, I, I, I know heaven gained. I know heaven gained, but earth lost. And I just think about the distance between now and then, between here and there. And God, my heart breaks. Can we be vulnerable like that? Can we be vulnerable to the place that says, God, I so resonate with with Paul when he writes to live as Christ and to die as gain? Because God, I encounter the weakness of my flesh all the time and it breaks my heart. And so God, I just, I long for the day when one day I'll see you face to face. Guys, there's no shortage of things to mourn for. None of us are immune. What's been done, what I've done, and what I long for. But Jesus says that the solution isn't to run away. The solution isn't to hide your head in the sand and act like it didn't happen. No, it's to fully engage, to step into it. Because blessed are those who can fail, for they'll be comforted. So how do I mourn God's way? Trust God, fully engage. Third thing is this. I allow God into the pain. Guys, if there is one thing that this world avoids like the plague, it's pain, right? Everywhere you look, there are coping mechanisms, right? Get away from it. Get out of it. Don't have to think about it, right? Come on, drink it away, smoke it away, opioid it away, hydrocodone it away, sex it away, porn it away, eat it away, Come on, make enough money out of it. 
Netflix it away, distract yourself, right? It's all escapism. And what it actually all is, it's false comfort. It's things that provide you an outlet, but no healing. You're just constantly running away from it. Let me promise you this, guys. Let me promise you this. The answer to your pain is not in the bottom of a bottle. You'll never find it there. It'll only lead you deeper, 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 deeper until you're lost in it. Guys, even in Christianity, we're, we're, we're some of the worst, right? Because we live in a culture, this is our Christian culture, right? That invites you to triple jump over morning to land in joy, right? We're Olympic athletes. It's skipping morning and jumping straight into joy, right? And what we love to do, we love to spirit sprinkle everything. That's why I call it spirit sprinkling. You know what spirit sprinkling is? Some of you walked in today like, bless the Lord, amen. Your seven piece suit, like, glory to God, PTL, praise the Lord, blessed, highly favored, right? But your life is like a, like a country song. Your wife just left you, your dog died, truck broke down on the way to church, had to take an Uber, Jane got money for an Uber, so you put it on your credit card, now you're wondering how you're gonna pay that because you just lost your job, got evicted from your house, Diabetes, dang, took your foot. <laughs> but you're blessed and highly favored. Come on, guys. But in skipping morning, we skip our blessing. Because blessed are those who mourn, but they'll be comforted. Jesus never tells us to sweep our pain under the rug. You wanna know why? Because when you sweep it under the rug, it's still there. Now you just have a bump in the rug. And everybody walks into your life, trips over the bump. I actually came across this, this thing. Um, it's a veterinarian term called proud flesh a while back. It's actually a condition uniquely found in horses. It's so fascinating. And what it is, a horse will experience um, some sort of injury, like, like it'll get dragged on like barbed wire or something, it'll get a cut. And here's literally the definition of proud flesh. It's when the outside of the wound heals faster than the inside of the wound. So the outside is healed, the inside is infected. So what happens is you have a horse that looks completely fine until you touch it. And then it freaks out, just like us. Come on, guys. I know people, you know people, that something happens. I've, I've, we've had employees, like, right, where, where somebody does something and they freak out. And everybody's like, whoa. Like, we put two in and got 12 back. What was that? But nobody's connecting the dots that she freaked out because that's what mom used to do. And I've seen marriages melt because of unresolved childhood trauma that comes out and it comes to manifestation 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. And what happens is everybody's like, oh, they just got divorced. No, 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 they didn't just get divorced. He, she never dealt with what happened when they were five, 10, 15. And that was just, every seed has a different germination time. And it just sat in the ground 
And it started growing, it started growing, it was toxic because it never dealt with it. And all of, it, all of a sudden, that harvest that it bore was the destruction of a marriage. It's called unmourned pain, unmourned trauma. It's called somebody who's unwilling to allow God to touch it. And maybe you've been in a conversation with somebody and you say something, you go somewhere, uh, somebody smells something, you touch them on the shoulder and they freak out. That's not you, that's an infection. And let me say this, guys. The grief will come out in some way. If it doesn't come out through mourning, it'll come out in a different way, right? In fact, you know, even just think about it in the natural, the type of earthquakes and the type of volcanoes that, that actually don't cause very much destruction are the ones that just have the slow trickle, right? The, the worst earthquakes are what are called compression earthquakes where this tension builds up and then Listen. If we do not mourn, it will come out some way. It'll come out in anger. It'll come out in violence or abuse. Listen, some of you are like, what, what happened to my childhood? Dad never dealt with his childhood and he took it out on you. It's, the psalmist actually says, runaway emotions corrode the bones. And so let me tell you, if you have all these things that happen, you never dealt with them, this is why people get ulcers, why people have anxiety attacks. This, this, is, this can lead to arthritis, cancers, because what it is, it's toxicity that's held on the inside and it's never processed. So we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it. In fact, I, I found this, I wanna make this very clear. I found this statement about proud flesh on a veterinarian website. Not a Christian website, right? This, this wasn't like sermon.com. Here, here's how you deal with proud flesh. It says the body attempts to heal the wound too quickly, and as a result, the wound closes up on the outside without getting healed on the inside. So the advice is to regulate the speed of the healing for the long-term health of the individual. The sooner treatment is initiated for a wound, the quicker healing will be accomplished and with minimal scarring. From the other view, when we see the worst of wounds, we must remain optimistic and proceed with treatment all wounds will heal, some prettier than others, but heal they will. Amen. But only if you deal with it. In fact, what they say about proud flesh is, if it's infected on the inside, you have to reopen it on the outside and then mitigate the healing. In other words, you have to let somebody touch it. Here's my encouragement to you guys. Do not believe the lie that time heals all wounds. Time does not heal all wounds. Time leads to infection. If you do not deal with it, don't pretend like it's gone. No, it's just hidden and it's still there and it's following you. I want us to understand this, guys. Mourning isn't just about crying. Mourning is about allowing God to touch the pain. It's about pulling the Band-Aid off and letting God touch it. And I'll just make a big statement, okay? God can't heal it if you won't let him touch it. So what we have to do is we have to let Christ into the crisis. We have to let Christ into the crisis. Jewish people have... Um, a custom, maybe you've heard of it before, called sitting shiva. 
And this is what happens after somebody, a loved one, passes away. And there's actually different lengths of time um, depending on the relationship with that person. The, the, the longest period of mourning is actually for your father. Here's the deal. Whether you knew him or not, can we be honest? A lot of people who have estranged relationships with their dad put up this big wall that says, I didn't need him anyways. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yeah, you did. And it wasn't right. And it wasn't okay. But it happened. And you can't pretend like it didn't happen. And so when he passes away, when that day comes, you need to mourn. And so sitting Shiva, here's what it is. Say for seven days, right? You don't cook. You don't clean. You don't work. In other words, you don't busy yourself. Try and run away from it. Here's the unique thing. People can actually come over to your house, but they can't talk to you unless you talk to them first. Because you don't know why? Because people say the dumbest things. <laughs> right? Like I've been at funerals before and somebody walks up and, well, you know, I guess just God needed them more in heaven than we did here on earth. <laughs> and we'll be like... You know, I think, I think God actually might need you more in heaven <laughs> than I do here on earth. Get your sorry. Because yeah. here's what we do. Here's what we do. Please don't be this person. By the way, Christians with the most well-meaning intentions, sometimes we're the worst people because we try and provide comfort when that's God's job. Sometimes the best ministry you can have is called the ministry of presence. Just be there. Don't say anything. Just be there. Shut your mouth. But just be there. Just be there. Just be there. Just be there. And here's what sitting ship is. You go inside the room, close the door, light a candle, turn off the lights, stare at the candle, invite God into the moment, and deal with it. And you do that for seven days. And that seems terrible, but you know what it is? It's healthy. Because blessed are those who go there and face it and let God touch it. Why? Because they're the ones who will actually be comforted. And what happens is, on day seven, you stand up. Let's put it in scriptural terms. You stand up, you pick up your mat, and you walk. Because I refuse to be 50 years later still living right there. God has more for me. They would want more for me than that. See, when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted, he's saying two things. He's saying two things. One, he's saying that on the face, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. But here's what he's also saying. He's saying, if you do not mourn, you will not be comforted. Blessed, not, it's not blessed are those who act like really good Christians, that act like it didn't really hurt and just kind of move on with their life. No. Blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. In fact, the Jewish people have another, um, what we call custom, and what we, we call it, um, a prayer shawl. And this actually has roots in Old Testament. You know, maybe you see, you've seen something like this before. It's more like the modern day equivalent of it. Um, 
it's, it's fascinating. I mean, if, if you go back, God actually instructed the, the Hebrew people to put tassels on the corners of their garment. Corners, super technical. They had box looms back then, so all of their clothes were like square. And at the bottom, they would put these tassels. And what the tassels reminded them of was the word of God. And in fact, the, the, today what they do is they, they tie these knots in such a way as to numerically represent 613, which is the number of commandments in the Old Testament. And so whenever you wear this, you're literally surrounded by the promises of God. And what this is, they, they call it a talit. Tall meaning a cover or a tent, and lit meaning little. So what you have is you have a little tent. And so whenever you wanna pray, you take on this posture because what this represents, it represents the presence of God, the covering of God. So listen, whenever I go into prayer, I'm surrounded by the presence and the promises of God. And if I need to be really alone, right, I can be completely by myself, even a room full of a thousand people. And it's one of these that actually kind of stands at the center of one of my realist, most powerful moments I've ever had with the Lord. So Summer and I uh, got married in 2001, and we were like a lot of young couples. You know, we're, uh, we're like, oh, we'll delay just a little bit having kids, you know, have some fun. <laughs> All right. And then finally the conversation strike up and like, hey, I think it's time. And, but it's just not happening. It's not happening it's to the point where it's frustrating, to the point where it's really frustrating, getting to the point where I'm like complaining to God. And I still remember driving home one day forever ago and just and complaining to God and got out of my car after work before I was working here. And God said, it's clear as day. Their names will be Jeremiah and Isaac. And I remember running inside, so pumped and telling Summer, we're like celebrating, rejoicing, we're so happy. And then nothing and, you know, she's going to the doctor about it. Like, what, what's happening? Like, God, did you just tell us that to frustrate us? Like, what, what, what the heck? What's going on? And it got to the point where uh, she went to a, a doctor who told her, like, hey, your body's whack. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, you should just maybe last-ditch effort, just try in vitro or something, but it's not going to happen. And we lo- that's, that guy's great. You know, good bedside manner. Um, super affirming individual. I think he missed that day in class. Um, and so she came home super discouraged, both of us. And it just, it literally got to the point where we're like, God, we clearly can't do it. I guess you have to do it, which is a pretty good place to be. And um, then I remember again, clear as day coming home one day and she shows the test and says, I'm pregnant. And if you've ever had that conversation before, it is like instantaneous worship. It is joy. It's celebration. Like I remember hugging, like jumping up and down. And, you know, you fast forward and Jeremiah is born. Their names will be Jeremiah and Isaac. Jeremiah is born. And in the due process of time, the months go by. And Summer one day has the test again and says, I'm pregnant but I still cannot, even to this day, I cannot fully describe what was happening in my soul because I'll tell you this, it was not the same. It was, it was probably the best word I have is, it was 
it was this like foreboding feeling, like this like, what? Like completely opposite from the first time she said it. And little did I know we didn't talk about it, but she felt the same way. Like this is, something's not right. You fast forward some time and she had a miscarriage. And I remember all of the thoughts of like, God, did I not pray enough? God, did I not do enough? Did you tell me so I would fast? Should I have fasted more? Should I have prayed more? And by the way, God, you lied. Because you said their names would be Jeremiah and Isaac. And we just lost Isaac. I don't even know what to do with that. I'll tell you what happened. I stopped praying. I just can't. I just, I don't even want to, I don't want to be with you right now. Literally, like I don't, I don't want to be, to make it worse, I was a pastor. So I'm having to like show up and preach. But I'm checking the box, man. Come on, you, have you ever gone someplace and your body went there, but your heart was gone? Not interested. And this continues on. I'm just getting colder and colder and colder and colder. Distance between us, just distance between us. We're not talking about it. Oh, no. What are we supposed to say? And uh, I was a pastor at Fusion back then, young adult ministry. And uh, so I did a series about where's God when life hurts. Um, By the way, if you're ever curious, lots of times when preachers preach, they're literally just preaching to themselves. Like you just get a ticket to watch my life, like in the things I'm dealing with. So I'm preaching this message. It's like, God, even if you don't feel it, like God's there, you're not forgotten. Like I didn't believe any of it. Yeah, it may be true. Maybe. Maybe for them, not for me. And we got to the end of the service and I literally said this. I said, you know, guys, lots of times we don't make time to process. We don't make time to sit in our pain and invite God into it. And I believe that God is talking way more than we're listening. And so let's do this. And we had these like, literally just like, poor man's prayer shawls. (laughs) And I finished the sermon and I went down and I sat on the floor and the band started playing. I put this over my head. And all of it just kicked back up again. Why, 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 why? Where were you? Where were you? God, you said, God, you said, where were you? Why? And I just kind of paused. And I said, God, lately I've been asking a whole lot of why questions. But even if I never know why, I'll still love you. And I'll still serve you all the days of my life. I trust you. And maybe just maybe on the day that I see you face to face maybe somehow all of this will make sense guys I'm telling you as those words came out of my mouth underneath the tent God stepped into the tent 
And he said, just as clear as I had heard it the first time, he said, he's with me and his name is Joseph. Something I left out was this. Summer had actually gotten pregnant again. But we couldn't allow ourselves to go there to think that it was a boy because Isaac was dead. So we're actually like picking out girl names. I don't know how to reconcile any of that. But when God said he's with me and his name is Joseph, it was like, Maybe that means when you fast forward and summer went to her appointment, they did the ultrasound, and there was Isaac. And what I learned in the midst of all of this, guys, is better than knowing why is knowing that Christ is with me in my crisis. Better than knowing why is knowing that God's promises are still true. Better than knowing why is knowing that even when I felt forgotten, I was not forgotten. And guys, here's the reality. What we want God to do is we want God to pull us out of our pain. But I'm telling you, that's usually not how it works. Instead of pulling us out of our pain, I'll tell you what God does. God parachutes into our pain with us. And he sits with you in it. And I'm just telling you, the presence of God in your pain, it may not change the situation, but you will receive comfort. Which is, I'm just telling you, when you receive the comfort of God, it's actually better. God's presence also does not mean that we forget what happened or that we move on like it never happened. Here's the deal. I know people who, who a child has died and they feel like if I move forward, I'm betraying their memory. So I can't move forward. Listen, inviting God into the vein does not mean that you forgot, does not mean you're betraying your mem- their memory. Depending on the wound, let me say it like this. Some of us will have a scar for the rest of our lives. But I wanna encourage you, when you look at Revelation and see Jesus, Jesus still has his scars. But his scars don't sting like they used to. They are no longer open wounds. If you have a scar, that means it's been healed. Come on, somebody, I'm gonna say it again. If you have a scar... That means it's been healed. It's not an open wound anymore. That's what comfort looks like. It's not that it never happened, but that it doesn't sting and anchor you back to that place like it used to. And let me, let me close with this. And if you do not, listen, if you do not hear anything else I'm gonna say, hear this. The reason why it's true that blessed are those who mourn is because those who mourn will be comforted. That word comfort in the Greek is parakletos, parakletos, which is a really special word because it's also the word for the Holy Spirit. 
Here's what I mean. The reason why we are blessed when we mourn is because the world is alone in their pain, but the Holy Spirit is with us in ours. Everybody has pain. The people of God have comfort. And to those who pause in their pain, who allow God to come in and touch it, heaven looks down and says, congratulations, help is on the way. Guys, I realize this. I realize I cannot tell God what to say, when to say it, or how to say it. But I can put myself in a position to be comforted. And we're gonna do just that. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. (sighs) Father, we worship you because you are present in our pain. God, everybody goes through pain. All the world can do is cope. We have comfort. We don't have to cope because we have comfort. Because the Holy Spirit is right here in our midst. Blessed are those who mourn because now the Holy Spirit is here. Help is on the way. And so God, we're gonna take a big step of faith and we're gonna do something many of us maybe haven't made space or the time or taken the emotional energy to do and we're gonna mourn in just a second. But before we do that, I'm reminded of Romans 8, 28, <laughs> that God works everything together for the good of those who, who love God. That promise doesn't apply to everybody. It only applies to the family of God. That the Holy Spirit is only there to comfort the family of God. And the only way we'll realize the second beatitude of blessed are those who mourn is if we realize the first beatitude, which is blessed are the poor in spirit. And so the invitation is here today, guys. I, 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 don't, wanna, I don't wanna offer a, a moment to allow God to comfort if we don't first open up the doors and invite into the family of God because that's where comfort comes. And so some of you today, you're, you're, you're overwhelmed. You're just like, man, my sin's right there and I can't do anything about it. That's what being poor in spirit is. And the only resolution for that sin was found in the cross of Christ. And the only way that we come into the family of God is through faith in Jesus. So again, the doors are really open wide today. And some of us, we need to repent of sin. We need to turn from it and put our faith in Christ as our savior and our king. And if today, if that's you, I wanna lead you in a prayer. And I want the family of God around you to pray with you. Let's, let's, let's pray together. Let's pray like this, say, Jesus. I confess that I've looked for comfort in this world. I've set up coping mechanisms. I've looked for joy and peace and blessing in things other than you. Today I repent of that sin and I turn from it. I leave those things and I turn to Jesus. I put my faith today in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross 
to forgive my sins and rose again to give me new life. And right now, because of faith in Jesus, I am born again. I'm a child of God. God is my father and I'll live for you the rest of the days of my life. And right now, Holy Spirit, come and bring comfort in Jesus' name.